You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. So, Jack, you're not Curtis. You're Jack Bonza, new member of the Bullet Club and all-round Australian wrestling legend. How's it going? Good. Um, <laughs> I can hear my two-year-olds in the background running around, running amok when he's supposed to be in bed. So <laughs> we, we had put this up because you were like, I'm just going to um, uh, put my son to bed and then maybe we'll talk, and he's immediately disobeyed you. Yeah, no, he's up, he's up and running around. I can hear him. <laughs> Like a so like a young that, bullet club young well. lion, <laughs> he's already breaking the rules like his whole. Man. Yeah, well, yeah. Is that something you need to attend to? No, no, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Um, wife got it; she'll be all right. But yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't sleep very well. Same as that's 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 really the crossover with me and him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure she's going to take very good care of it, and I will do my very best to take care of you on this last minute hangout that we're planning now. So uh, Jack was super nice to give up his time today uh, to really just kind of talk about his awesome career, everything that's happened leading up to these New Japan Pro Wrestling Tamashi shows and uh, and everything that's led him to be the newest member of Bullet Club, which is fucking too sweet, I guess. <laughs> so, so, so let's rewind right back, buddy. Uh, for anybody that's uh, familiar with interviews I've done with the Faces and Feels show, uh, usually the way I like to start is by asking people who were some of the first faces in wrestling that like drew them into wrestling. I see no reason to break from that formula as it's worked for fucking two years. So, so let's, let's do that. Let's rewind back and, and think about when you were first exposed to pro wrestling. Who were some of the, like your favorites? So I actually didn't start watching wrestling until relatively late in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was 17 or 16 or something before I actually started watching wrestling. And I was training as a pro wrestler less than two years after first seeing it on TV. Wow. So that was about 2004 I started watching it. I think the reason why that happened is because it, uh, WWE debuted on Foxtel yes. at that time. Or maybe it was on there beforehand, but my parents got Foxtel for the first time or something. And so that's when I first started regularly watching. Mm-hmm. So I came in smack bang at the end or the middle of the evolution storyline mm-hmm. with uh, Triple H and Batista. So one yes. of the first things I saw was Randy Orton winning the world title. And then the promo where they lift him up on his shoulders and the thumbs up and the thumbs yes. down. And they, they smack. Yeah. So that's actually sort of what sucked me into wrestling um, in the first place. And then after that, um, back in the era of video easy, um, like blockbuster video kind of well. era, there were these dockets you could get that you would pay $5 and you could get five weekly videos. Yeah. And I would go and rent all the pay-per-views they had because they had a section that was 
whatever. So that's where I went back and rewatched all the old pay-per-views and all that kind of stuff. So I guess my first favorite was Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then um, I've gone back since then, you know, a huge Steve Austin fan and The Rock and Ric Flair and everybody who you would possibly expect from that era. Um, so very basic bitch um, wrestling fan at first. And it wasn't until a bit later that I started getting into the in the more indie stuff and all that kind of deal. I actually, I laughed because I was on a show, my ninth and 10th ever matches. Mm-hmm. I was on a show with Brian Danielson. Oh, really? Um, yeah. He toured Australia. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until later when I got into him and started watching like the match he had with like the, the unification match against Nigel McGuinness yeah. and his run that I'm like, Oh, I had the best wrestler on the planet. <laughs> right there. <laughs> show, it was right there. Especially in Australia, it's become less rare now, but it's still rare, yeah. relatively speaking. But at that time it was insanely rare. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet him and hang out with him. I had no clue who he was until and then later he became one of my absolute um, idols. Yeah. So um, so that was sort of interesting. <laughs> interesting time um and then yeah since then it's moved on and then and you sort of um expand your reach um since then so the guys who stick out to me more are more the technical hard-hitting guys always been a big like william regal fan yeah um or and and then obviously brian danielson and um that that sort of that that sort of style of guys always been my favorite yeah absolutely i've um I've seen I've seen you live a, a few times actually with the forays and stuff that you've done with New Japan, you know, in the the earlier tour and stuff in Sydney and, and in Melbourne and things like that. How how deep are you into the business now? So so if you were training a couple of years after you started, uh, I mean, started watching and stuff. Sorry, how long? 15. 15. So I debuted in 2007. Right. So, so you could see how long it was taking me to do that math. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a podcaster, not a mathematician. But yeah, so so a while, um, uh, deep into it now, but still relatively early in the scheme of things to, to be jumping in and working with a company like that and, and uh, using those opportunities. Have you felt that like the COVID stuff really sort of slowed down those, those opportunities? Like everything was sort of put on oh, pause? Because yeah. for a while it was like picking up steam, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it was horrible. Um, for, I mean, yeah, I probably don't need to explain to people, but like they shut borders. Yeah, you know, like I, I think Japan only just reopened its borders to um, tourists, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Yes, like correct. so, like you, if you had a work visa, you could probably still get in, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it blocked any of us who were sort of on the threshold of maybe doing something like that. Just went bang, like no, not happening anymore. Yeah. Even going to New Zealand for the Farley Dojo yeah. that's over there. You couldn't do it anymore. Like they shut down all those businesses. Like some of the some of the schools and some of the companies and things that happened were lucky that they survived at all. Yeah. Um, let alone maintaining relationships with a with a place like New Japan or, or the wrestlers themselves maintaining relationships with a with a place like New Japan. So yeah, it very much feels like we're only just sort of I mean, how long have we been able to, excuse me, how long have we been able to run events for again? Probably 18 months. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys had it way worse than us over here in Perth, right? So, like, because because PWA, you guys were doing, like, just no fan shows in a, a warehouse, right? Like, you guys were still putting out content for your, your diehard fan base. You know, like, I think a lot of the stuff with PWA is, because there's such a large group of wrestlers, um, like, there's probably, I think there are 50 or 60 people who work 
with or for PWA um, between the school and the actual on roster, probably even more. So it's part of keeping you sane, you know, like something to do. Like um, we just sort of do no fan shows just to give, let everybody stretch their legs and put some content out there and keep engagement alive and um, let everybody know that PWA still existed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, all that stuff's kind of easy and you have to be so careful. Like all the, all the things on the day, everybody had to be wearing a mask and everything had to be, sanitized in between everything just to make sure that if somebody, you know, said somebody's doing something and then like the police or yeah. whoever was checking COVID came in and checked so we could show we had a plan and we had everything being done, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was really brutal, especially because we were just getting so much momentum yeah. and the association with New, New Japan, which is only just sort of picking up again now. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say it effectively killed three years. Yeah. Um, or even longer maybe because even though we weren't down for that long, the time it's taken to rebuild the momentum to get up to the point where we were before mm-hmm. the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, we're only just sort of getting there now. Yeah, exactly. That, that it's it's so heavy. Um, I jumped I jumped ahead a little bit because it, it seemed like the appropriate question to go to. But but as we rewind a little bit, how then you know you're doing indie shows with Brian Danielson, you don't know who he is. How 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 then? do you become involved with PWA? How, how kind of soon does that sort of begin? Does it exist or, or, or what? Yeah, I think PWA actually, st- I mean, yeah. So it depends on how you interpret um, the company, like PWA Black Label, which is virtually a separate entity mm-hmm. from the original PWA started in 2017. Mm-hmm. So really PWA Black Label in and of itself um took about two years to get to that momentum. Then there was like three years off and now it's starting to come back. The PWA that existed before that, I think started in Sydney in 2007, which is sort of the spiritual before the black label era. Um, But even before that, PWA Melbourne, I think, and I wouldn't even be able to tell you when PWA Melbourne started, but it was, it was definitely before PWA Sydney existed, Um, had history even before then. So um, I'm I'm fairly ignorant to that. I mean, because I had, um, I, I didn't start with PWA, um, but I, I think I was started there in about 2009. Mm-hmm. I ended up um, wrestling there for the first time and training with everybody. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was relatively soon, but it didn't. In my memory, it's not so soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the part that seemed so much more prolific than it actually ended up being. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's probably yeah 2009. I think it debuted. Yeah. I um when I think of PWA, I, I think of you sort of hand in hand in it. So where did you actually? I I just sort of assumed you were sort of you know it was always your your home. So where did you actually start training? Uh, and how did you even find training as a person trying to wrestle in Australia? Oh, I probably did the same thing that anybody else would do. I didn't know it existed either. Yeah. Um, and then my dad sort of went, "We've been to wrestling," and he said, "Like when you were like ten, yeah. I went to an IWA show." Okay. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And so then I just Googled it um, to see, you know, the first two things that pop up were IWA, AWF. And I don't think, I don't know if there was even a third one at that period of time, um, but IWA's website was relatively abandoned. I don't know. I don't think they actually had a school at that period of time, nor do they now. So I went to AWF um, and that was sort of the first foray into it. It was... <laughs> Two and a half hours by public transport from where I lived. Whoa. It was um, <laughs> a walk or a bus stop, a bus, sometimes a second bus, and then a train, and then a 15-minute walk. Wow. Um, and then the same deal back. So that that's sort of like – I mean, that's actually my entire – like so much of my training um, 
has been like that. Like it's just some of the some of the actual physical adventures in order to get to training or get to shows are stories on themselves. Like it's just it's just so crazy just because of where I lived. So there's nothing ever close to me, but I wanted it, so I went and did it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's um, that's kind of like the story of Australia a little bit, right? Like our public transport isn't notoriously great, so it doesn't surprise me to hear that, that you know you had to go through a huge mission to get to it. Like I, I grew up in um, in Dongra, which was uh, it's like south a little bit of Geraldton, which is a smaller city over here in WA. And to go to high school, I used to catch like an hour and a half bus each way. It's just like yeah. the way of Australia, right? So yeah. like fucking two and a half hours though, like I, I assume on what was it, a Saturday or was it like after school or, or what are we talking? It was Saturday. So um, I'd have to leave at six in the morning to get there by nine. Wow. Um, and then there'd be a nine to 11 class. Yeah. And then once you did the first couple of months, then you would switch from the 11 to one class and then the one to three class. And then the three to five class was the advance. But just because like, it might've been partially because of the trip and just because of me being obsessive. Once I passed the first class, I still went to the first class and just did the second class too. It didn't back to back. So I ended up going and doing whatever class I was supposed to be in and the one before it. Yeah um every time just because whatever and then when i got to the one o'clock class three o'clock class let me train with them too <laughs> so you were just doing um, the so, all classes basically well think about it this it takes you two and a half hours to get there and two and a half hours to get back and you're you're physically there for two hours yeah fuck that <laughs> so you may as well do the whole day at that stage right you might, you might as well hang out like um so that's that's sort of always been my attitude but that, that's always been me too i've been very hard um very hard at training and working and doing all that kind of stuff has always been my attitude because I like doing it. Yeah. You know, I think if you like wrestling, I don't understand why people don't like training, but yeah. It's, I mean, that's the craft, right? It's like learning and growing and, yeah. and all those that's, things. That's the deal. And, and where it was interesting was that um, after it, probably in 2009, mm-hmm. um, the person who I was dating at the time, um, Shazza McKenzie, mm-hmm. uh, was invited to go to PWA. And because she went to PWA, I went with her, but we went to training. But then there was a training school that was actually very close to the AWF training. Go to that one, then go to the second one. So we'd actually do two on one day. Yeah. But um, as back in the day, it sort of changed in New South Wales, at least now. Um, But back in the day, if you work for one place, you weren't allowed to work for another place. So the fact that even though Shazza got permission to do that one match or whatever, once we were sort of trying to do both, that blew up. So um, we ended up going with Peter Bray from there, which was a far superior choice. It really wasn't much of a question. Yeah. Um, even at the time. It was just, I think the, the difficult decision was because I was friends with so many people from the one place, you didn't want to try and leave the friendship group, but you know, yeah. <laughs> chase the bookings. Well, exactly <laughs> right. And, you know, and if, uh, if one place is going to help you develop more and, you know, improve and stuff, like you say, it's an easy choice at that stage. And then just hopefully everybody else understands. Yeah, yeah, and I've always been of the belief too that like you need to train with more than one place if you can. Like you don't want to train with a place that's not very good, but even if there's a top place, if there's another place that's okay or good, do both. Yeah, um, because you know you're gonna learn more from a range of different people. Yeah, absolutely, different points of view, different feedback, all those kind of things, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you guys begin at PWA, and then I mean. Is it just over time you sort of develop and become more of a part of the the company? You know, it's time sort of grows and stuff, and you t- start taking on more responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I really didn't do much until two thousand seventeen. Oh, okay. 
um, it, uh, beyond um, beyond being a beyond being a wrestler. I actually helped out a lot with Newcastle Pro Wrestling. Okay, um, which started. Oh, God, I think that started in 2012. So probably from about 2014, I helped more um, with that kind of place. But see, my background is uh, I have a bachelor's degree in business and a master's degree in accounting. Okay. So like, I, I can sort of help with a lot of the business side and, and things like that because I also had the understanding of wrestling. So I did a lot for them. Um, and they're still going up in Newcastle. They've got some massive shows going on, um, especially one in December. Um, at their city hall venue, which is always massive. It's like a 700 seater in the middle of Newcastle. It's really cool. Yeah, cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's sort of more my development than that. Yeah. Do you still have anything to do with them or ever do shows with them? Or it's. Uh... Oh, yeah. No, I still work with them all the time. I train there constantly, too, because oh, cool. there are two schools. <laughs> so I actually, I'm still halfway in between. So yeah. there's the school in, in Sydney, which is the PWA school, and the school in Newcastle. And I live um, like halfway in between those two areas. Nice. So I actually sort of skip between both (laughs) so um yeah we do we do tons of stuff together um and i still do all their shows and all their events and stuff so do you do you hold training classes like do you train people or you just contribute yeah yeah i'm I'm one of the coaches at both schools Mm -hmm. um so it just sort of depends on what's going on um in particular whether i go and attend but um I, i still take classes frequently i've done that for years um like, I mean, part of the other thing is too, like I train in a number of different martial arts and self-defense classes. I almost, I was a women's self-defense instructor at one point too uh, with my dad. So there's lots of like things in that you can learn from um, with, with you know, teaching and training and all the little different things you can throw in. And, um, between all the different schools I've been to over the years, you know, you get quite a versatile move set um, like or experience set like with all the different styles and all the different ways of doing things and the character study and all the different kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I contribute as much as I can. Yeah. Wow. That, that's really interesting. Have you always done martial arts your whole life as well? Or was yeah, that like, I'm not like, I'm not like a Bobby fish or something. Who's going to, you know, be a very serious martial artist. Like I'd get my ass kicked by most ones, but like I, when I was like probably from when I was 10 or 12, I always sort of did, some kind of after school martial art thing, which helped a lot in wrestling because I was used to break falling. Yes. Um, and I really knew how to do all the roles and things like that. And I was coordinated and I sort of knew how wrist locks worked and basic defense and stuff like that. I was comfortable with moving my body around because when you start wrestling, the big thing is you get, if you get like 12 year olds or 15 year olds, I can't start until I turn 18. What do I do? go train in martial arts, go yeah. do karate or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something like that because there is such a good big crossover because the last thing you want to do is try and pick up becoming a pro wrestler, but you've never done any exercise in your life because <laughs> those, those first days or any of the classes too, like you forget just how brutal the conditioning is on someone who's not used to it. Yeah. That is one thing that I've uh, noticed sort of pretty common with wrestling and wrestlers uh, since I've been doing interviews and, and things like that is that crossover, right? Like that when people tell their stories about when they first started wrestling, you do get people who are like, I did nothing. It was all I ever wanted. It was the hardest thing ever, but I got through it. Or you get those people who had some kind of background and they're like, oh yeah, well, I already kind of took falls. I already kind of knew what that was and I was experienced and I just sort of fell into it. Like, (laughs) there's anything you can do. Like, I mean, even if you play footy or something, like just being used to being hit, and yes. being used to running or, or doing stuff like that, it really is it really is very helpful uh, compared to the to the person who maybe isn't so physically active. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the breakfall thing is like a huge one because that that would be such like a mental 
hurdle to get over for people who have never done it before. You know, like I'm going to fall, I'm going to land on my back flat, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, you know, the actual big one that really comes up all the time is doing a flip. Mm-hmm. Like not landing on your feet, but a flip into a break fall. For some reason, people can't go head over head over tits. They just can't do it. Yeah. Um, like throwing themselves backwards and stuff, people can sort of can sort of get that. Mm-hmm. But when you've actually got to jump and and flip all the way through, that's where people seem to struggle the most. Yeah, yeah. It would be. Uh, I imagine it would be hard to let go. I and like sort of let go of that control and, and flatten out. I imagine I would eat shit if I tried to do it and just like break my neck or something because I don't know if I could commit to it, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, so so let's let's talk a little bit now about about New Japan. So oh, the the first tours um, were awesome when, when I got to see them. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed your matches there. How was it uh, getting the opportunity to run in that tour and be around those wrestlers and, and be on those shows. Oh, it was huge. It was, yeah. it was, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, especially when you haven't been around that sort of level of professional environment too. Yeah. Like the thing that always happens to me, and I, I get this, I get this all the time is people ask, was I nervous? Mm-hmm. And you got to understand the wrestle in Sydney, for example, there were 3,400 people mm-hmm. at key center. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wrestled Eugene Nagata. Yeah. Right. So never Legend. met him doesn't speak that much English yeah. like you know, kind of thing. They have their own separate locker rooms. Like there's the Suzuki Goon locker room. There's yeah. a chaos locker room. There's a board club locker room. And then there's the everybody else who has nothing to do with this locker room. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got to get changed in there. And then you don't know where they are. This is a massive stadium thing. Like just all, all the things going on. Then you got to work out a match with somebody who barely speaks English. Um, but I, I get asked like, were you nervous? And the answer is no. I wasn't in even the slightest bit nervous because I we ran once we had the match down. I was like, okay, I can do everything in that match. Like, that's fine. This is what I practice for. This is what I train for. Yeah. And then you walk out in front of that crowd. Now you're nervous in front of that crowd. No, I'm not nervous in front of that crowd because there are 3,400 people there who know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you look at how good this thing looks. Where I get nervous is in front of 20 people in a shitty fucking um, PCY seat. That's where I feel nervous because I feel like I'm in my underwear in front of a bunch of people who are like rocking up for whatever stupid reason to sort of point. Like it doesn't feel right. But when you have the big screen, when you have the smoke, when you have the music with a massive sound system in a stadium full of people who are there to see the wrestling, that's where you feel comfortable because it feels right. Yeah. But I don't feel, (laughs) I feel nervous is when everything seems wrong. Yeah. Um, so I guess that, that exposure to that level of professional environment, just seeing the way they go about things um, was, was, was a great learning experience. It was really cool. Got lots of positive feedback. Like <laughs> I'm backstage, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was, might've been one of the young bucks or something who was there. Like, and, and then um, <laughs> Eugene Nagata comes back to me and I said, oh, so how was it? And then he goes, oh, good. And then just goes into his locker room. <laughs> and I turn to the other guy and the other guy's sitting there like drinking a beer or something just goes, well, it must have been pretty fucking good then. <laughs> if that's all he said, I went, all right. <laughs> maybe maybe you would have been read the right act if it was bad, but I, I because think, it was yeah, funny. I think, they, I think they're very capable of being very critical. They don't give a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. Either, either it was okay or it wasn't. Yeah, it's like, like stern um, respect. So, yeah, yeah. And that that's all good. You know, a lot of it comes down to being respectful, like – um you know, making sure that like, cause the thing is you find this too, that when you deal with people at that level, they're the most respectful. 
Like they're the most respectful people you find. They're always asking if things are okay, making sure things are good and doing whatever. Because it's just like this, like if they give respect, sort of get respect kind of thing. So you yeah. just kind of make sure. But with that being said, if you're like, if you do something little, that's a problem. I think that becomes a like a more serious problem. Like, so you need to sort of like, and you don't have to be over the top or silly, but you got to make sure you're on your best behavior um, yeah. when you walk around doing all that kind of stuff. You know, like if there's catering, you got to make sure if you're on the bottom of the totem pole, you got to make sure that Okada ate first. Yeah. <laughs> like, because if you take the last meal and then he walks in and you're sitting there holding this fucking meal half eaten and there's nothing in there, then you know what I mean? That's just, that's just you being a dick because of course he's more important than you. Yeah. Like, um, so like just uh, walking around and being that kind of environment that, that was just interesting, but it was also, it was also nice because if you are cool with them and do the right things, then, then they're great. They couldn't be easier to deal with as people. So, of course, I mean, uh, the yeah. that's the Japanese culture, right? I, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, I've been to Japan many times. I've been about five different sort of holiday trips uh, to Japan. Some of which like month long trips and get to really get you know immersed in the culture and be around people and and meet people and all these things. And it really is a very special place and a very respectful culture. And so I can only imagine, like, if you're doing the right things and you're showing that respect to people, you'll get nothing but that back, you know, and and it would be really rewarding. Yeah, and I think I think everything works better when you do it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of in life in general, but especially, yeah, <laughs> especially that. Uh, let me ask you this: when you talk about, um, you know, uh, confidence and you know, nerves, am I nervous and things like that? Is there comfort to be found? sliding into the persona of Bonza. You know what I mean? Like uh, the persona that you project is a very, you know, militant, stern person. And then when you're in that that situation, you know, like you say, it's lights, it's smoke, it's all that stuff. Everybody knows the deal, the music hits, and then you just get to fall into him. You know what I mean? And then just walk out as the the hardest motherfucker, like in the place. Is, is, there, an, is there protection in that? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> You're like, I don't know, it's kind of just who I am. I'm like, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not as mean as Bonzer is. <laughs> but no, that's, um, yeah, I think, it, yeah, um, I'm not really sure how to, how to answer that. You know, maybe, yeah, I, I think it's something you find comfort in after a while. Like you get used to doing it and that's sort of, that's sort of what you do, like wearing the jacket and the the tights and everything being sort of just so. And if you're in something that's not that, you can feel like uncomfortable when you're doing that kind of thing. But I think a lot of it does come down to practice and experience. Um, like, like, like when you're wrestling a big match like that, as long as you're doing things that you've done a million times, I couldn't imagine what it would be like trying to do it, like or do something completely different than what I normally do and then being in that environment as well. Yeah. Um, I suppose it is like, yeah, like you're, you're in your comfortable jeans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, was was Nagata the first um, non-English speaking wrestler you had faced? I think so, but that that's sort of hard because uh, the timings all jumble in my memory. Oh, mm. yeah, no, I think so. I, I'm trying to work out because I went to America a couple of times. I can't remember yeah. if I wrestled anyone who was a Spanish speaker. Um, but there's something, something like that. It's it probably one of the earlier ones. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is people wonder how you, you do it. It's not, it's not that hard. Like, um, wrestling's all body language and stuff like that. So talking to them and a lot of the other cool thing about the respectful people about 
respectful thing about Japanese people. They speak English. Mm-hmm. Like they may not speak it well um, necessarily, but they sort of tend to have enough to get by. Yeah, more than we um, have of Japanese, that's for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I've made an effort to try and learn Japanese as best I can, but it just it never – There we always end up speaking English. <laughs> Bro, I, get, I swear I get worse at Japanese the more time goes by. <laughs> like, Are you still in Japanese? You said you've been there. And no, stuff. Not, even a, not even a little bit. So <laughs> the the dynamic where when we have gone, it's always been my wife and a friend of ours, Momo, and yeah. we we always have we always have a joke that we've all got a role in the the tour group so to speak as we get around yeah so Amy is the maps she organises where everything goes Momo's the button she just presses the lift buttons and I'm the face and so my <laughs> my job is to speak to everybody but I speak the least Momo is Japanese <laughs> like like she has a Japanese brother has grown up like with it yeah. Amy can actually read Japanese very well she's taught herself she can do but because I'm fucking who I am or whatever, they're like, they're going to talk to you anyway and you're the friendliest right. and we get nervous, so you have to do it. So all I have is like these confusing conversations with people where I try and get my point across. But yeah. there's a magic in that as well. And uh, yeah, have you been, you've been to Japan? Or, or no, not yet. Yeah. Well, you, you've okay. had interactions, so you, you would understand this. But like yeah. you, you try and get your, your point across and then what you end up having is this sort of like, really nice interaction where you both figure out how to understand each other and there's a chuckle and it's this and blah, blah, blah. And so that's me just bumbling through Japan and I tend to really like it. And there's part of me that doesn't ever want to be fluent because right. maybe then they'll be like, I'm walking away and they're like this dumb motherfucker that can't speak. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I like the idea that everybody there's perfect and we're all friends and it's, and it's all great. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So those shows are amazing everything goes i can tell me do the seeds for for what recently happened in recent events begin over these events is that when somebody like farley starts to get in your ear and you guys start to discuss the future plans that could be your uh alignment with a with a group like bullet club yeah i think so like um the first real interaction i had with farley was when i did a tryout for his dojo oh okay um so i think he he came over and wrestled and he wrestled me too, to be fair. Um, it was, um, it was, uh, Mick Moretti and I, the nations versus, um, Farley's son and, and, um, and Mr. Juicy, Gino Gambino. Yes. I mean, bag match at PWA, mm-hmm. lock stock and two sweeting barrels. Yep. Um, we were very right. proud of that name, but not enough people understood the reference. Um, <laughs> so then, um, yeah, we did a tryout that day and then he's just, he spoke to me afterwards and he just seemed very impressive tryout. Um, so that's, and he liked the way I was, he liked the bonds of persona. He liked the, the character and everything yes. that came with it and the way that I sort of wrestled. Um, I think, I think a lot of the time when it comes down to this stuff, what people don't realize is I use this example all the time. If you're an actor yes, and you're going for a part and you're going for the son in this family or the daughter in this family and you're white, but the parents are black, they're not going to hire you. Not because you're not a great actor, but because they need someone who's going to be a natural fit yes. for that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they need a black kid, or or if the parents are Asian and they're their natural born child, it's going to be an Asian child. Like it needs to be something that makes sense, because otherwise it's just kind of like that's not how genetics works. Like yes. if they need if they need you know if they need a you know someone with flowing long blonde hair, I'm not going to get that role. Like you know, sort of like as a as a bald redhead, it just doesn't work <laughs> yeah. that way. Yeah. 
when when you look at what Farley's after, he wants bad guys. Yeah. You know, and, and they want bad guys who they know are going to be bad guys. And you watch what I do, and I don't try and do fancy things. You know, if they, if they want someone who's going to be a big, fun baby face, I wouldn't have been picked. Yes. But the whole point with this was that they watched what I did and went, he's very good at this one thing that we need. Yeah. And that's where I slot in. And yeah. I think that he got that from the tryout because I think a lot of the time too, and this is my advice to newer wrestlers, is that when if you're doing something and people like what you're doing and then you get a tryout or then you get a chance or then you do something, just do what it is that you did before. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of wrestlers will sort of be like, oh, crap, I'm on this big stage. I've got to try and be Will Ospreay. And all of a sudden they try and do a bunch of stuff that they've never done before. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. That's not, you know what I mean? Like you got to come come with who brung you to the dance, like the the whatever kind of thing. And I think the fact that I got these opportunities and then just did what I did, they went, okay, <laughs> he, we can trust him and do his role and the kind of stuff on, on the thing. Um, so that's that was sort of, I think, the beginning of it was that it's like, okay, this is a, he gets it. This is a similar thing. And this is something that will actually fit. Um, from then, and we sort of had discussions, and then he came back the second time, and we've tagged before. Yeah, like um, like the one of the biggest honors I had was that I wrestled Jushin Thunder Liger three weeks before he retired. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, it was, it was sick. Like it was uh, Robbie Eagles and Jushin Thunder Liger versus me and Farley. Yeah, and that was sort of where we started to really move towards it, and then everything shut down. <laughs> <laughs> So the seeds were planted nice and early, but then obviously the world stopped moving. But when I yeah, yeah when I think about Bonzo, like obviously you you have a sort of militant persona and vibe, and that's your entire thing. And then you think about Bullet Club, and you think about you know the Rogue General Farley and stuff, and you're like, of course it was going to be Bonzo, like you know, like it just it works, right? Like, yeah, no, it it all fits together. We work well together, um, and so it's just a. Yes, natural fit. <laughs> um, tell me about the actual show uh, where it all went down. So I, I have been away. I've been. I was actually over in Melbourne. I was g- catching some tours and seeing some different things. Uh, I had just seen on the news that this had gone down. So tell me about about the show and and what took place. Yeah, so PWA just finished its um its first East Coast tour. Mm-hmm. So over the month of October, we went from um. Queensland mm-hmm. to uh, Melbourne, mm-hmm. back to um, uh, Newcastle and Wollongong, and then it sort of capped off at the at the University of New South Wales Roundhouse in in the heart of Sydney. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of that's PWA, you know, stepping out and being like, okay, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to take this place over. We're going to do all this stuff and have a big swing, mm-hmm. because PWA, and 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 even with Tamashi too, this is all the same sort of deal, is that the the idea of the company is to be a sustainable Australian pro wrestling company. Yes. We don't want to rely on flying international wrestlers in, in order for our cards to be great. Yes. We want to be able to have a big show and charge more for tickets and do all this kind of stuff, have all the extra production values and have it be a uniquely Australian brand. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the aim of PWA is to try and do something where we can be a big touring brand, but we've just got Aussies. Um, because there are so many of us and like my dream, my goal was always, cause I spent tons of time in America. I hated it. Yeah. So much of the wrestling is very, very good. And a lot of the people there in wrestling are very good and all that kind of stuff. And the training was fantastic and I had a great time, but actually living there, I did not like it one bit. Yeah. 
Um, so then I come back to um, Australia and I'm like, I want to live here, but the wrestling here is there's no stage. There's nothing here that I want to be on. Cause the biggest thing was maybe a hundred or 200 people in front of, you know, like five $10 tickets in front of nothing. There was no screen. There was no smoke. There's no, there's no promo value. There was no live stream. There was no, none of these things existed. So PWA and my involvement at PWA has just been to try and drag it up, kicking it, screaming to the point where you can be somebody here. And that's sort of the goal of Tamashi too, is if you look at like New Japan Strong, and that's sort of what the goal of Tamashi is for Australia, is that they can have American wrestlers who then get uh, are able to use the New Japan platform yes. to a degree while still just being in America and they can become known names just by being there. Yeah. Not that there aren't other platforms in America already, mm-hmm. but that was just another one. Um, but to create one here in Australia, and that's sort of the goal. And the LFG, like the, um, the PWA Roundhouse show, was really the big statement. Um, so we ended up like, um, with, we have a live band. There was a, um, there was a firehead dancer for one of the entrances. One of the other entrances had, um, like the WrestleMania, um, I think it was WrestleMania three where they all got brought in on carts with the ring, yeah. like the famous giant. So that was Ricky South's entrance yeah. on the way to the Cade. Um, like there, there was just all these things that we put in there, the massive yeah. three screens, and like the, there was 600 plus people in the place. Like the whole thing went off. Like it was amazing. And then that was the place where we had Fale come out, the Shingo, and, and that's where I joined Bullet Club. Yeah. So like the whole thing was supposed to be trying to be have the peak Australian event and then have this be like, cause the whole concept is we're trying to be noticed on a world stage. Yeah. So what, what better place in order to have, you know, one of the arguably the most famous indie stable. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can even, you know, I guess you wouldn't consider New Japan indie, but you know what I mean. Like every every indie wrestling fan knows what Bullet Club is. Absolutely, new Australian member fucking out of nowhere on the PWA show. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? and then you're getting you know, Pro Wrestling Australia talked about on the New Japan website. Yeah, through that, like you know, so and you have just somebody who's just a pure Australian wrestler, always been pushing the Australian stuff bang there he is so that that was sort of that was the goal and that was the um yeah the that's what we're trying to do yeah and then we're trying to use that to launch the tamashi which looks huge i think seated tickets were sold out in less than two hours yeah um so like that place is gonna be packed with people (laughs) yeah um and it should be and the full card got released looks like a fantastic card like everything's everything's it feels like the momentum's back. Everything's going our way on this one. Absolutely. I think you so, guys knocked it out of the park with the way that played out. And you, you did, like anybody that isn't, like I have been aware of PWA, you know what I mean? But I'm not, I don't watch every show. I'm in Perth, you know, and, and all those kind of things. Yeah. But I sure as fuck knew about that when that happened. You know what I mean? It was all <laughs> over my Twitter. It was, you yeah. know, in the New Japan news feed, uh, podcast and people are tweeting about it and stuff like that. So mission accomplished. And then now that sets the stage leading into these new events. So that was, this is a perfect segue now to begin talking about it. So there's, there's two shows coming. Yeah. November 11th and November 13th, one in New Zealand and then one in Sydney. Yes. Yeah. No worries. Now Christchurch and then yeah, Sydney Liberty Hall. Absolutely. Now, are you you are just on the Sydney show, or you were on both? 
I'm on both. Um, oh, so um, in uh, November 11th, I'm wrestling um, Jake Taylor. Great. Mm-hmm. And then uh, November 13, it's myself, Farley Sun, Kenta Sun versus um, the Velocities and Matt Rogers, Speed yeah. Force. That's <laughs> huge. Now, now Jake Taylor, I would know from Lions Raw, right? He was one of the Farley Dojo guys. Is that right? Yeah, he's one of the guys who's been trained at Farley Dojo for a while. So I think this might be his first sort of foray into into having a, a, a local New Japan show too. So yeah. it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what all the, the, the young lions are doing too because um, there are four of them on Sydney and then um, I think a lot of the rest of them are on uh, are in New Zealand as well. So, I mean, f- from them, I mean, geez, can you imagine training in the Farley Dojo for that long? Yeah. Being, I think uh, you talk about our side of the country having it worse. New Zealand, <laughs> the lockdowns in New Zealand, man. Like, Brutal. so those guys training through that two or three year period. And now this finally must be like a light at the end of the tunnel for them. So those guys are putting in a lot of work. And, um, and I mean, that's something you've always got to respect in the end. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody who puts in no work somehow fluke success. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. when you see someone who you know works very, 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 very hard, which must be those guys, because I've been to the Farley Dojo, I've trained there for an extended period of time. I know how hard that place is. Yeah. So them to sort of live there. <laughs> yeah. And during um, that, that time, like yeah. the Lions then, Raw <laughs> documentary is amazing, right? Like yeah. what they were doing was crazy. Yeah, and then this is their this is their match. This is their eight to ten minutes that they get to, <laughs> to show Fuck. for all that. Yeah. So um, unfortunately for Jake, I'm have to put him down. Yeah, sorry, Jake. Um, but <laughs> exactly. How, um, how long did you train at the Farley Dojo for? I was there for like a month. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I just, I just, it's just one of those things, you know. Like I just wanted to go over there and get to know the process and yeah. see everybody, and then just also just sort of prove it, you know. Like everybody talks. Everybody talks, man. Like everybody, every wrestler you talk to is going to be like, oh, I'm the best wrestler and I deserve these spots and I do this, this, and this, man. Fucking well done is better than well said. Like, you know, if you want to be part of the New Japan Dojo, it's like I'm married and I have a kid. I can't go somewhere for six months um, and, and do all that kind of thing. But I can go over there and, and make those young lions my bitch for a month. <laughs> like, um, like, you know, just be like, you know, so when I say that I can do this, <laughs> Yeah. What I mean is you know, <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. And of course I'm dying on the inside, but you don't let anybody show that. No, like, um, <laughs> yeah. My rookie refer to me. It's funny because sometimes I'll run training in Newcastle or PWA and everybody else will be around me. will be dying and I'll be fine. And, uh, and I'll laugh at them because they're fitter than me. <laughs> and, and then some of the Newcastle rookies refer to me as battle hardened. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there going, you're fitter than me, but you're not doing it. And it's because just, I think after like, you know, 15 years in wrestling and, and training and traveling to get to the training and doing all the stupid things that I've done, it's not that I'm fitter. I'm just mentally, I'm so much more used to abuse Yeah. Um, than, <laughs> than a lot of the other guys that you just sort of just wear it better. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, a conversation with somebody else recently where we talked about um, like – you know, ring fit, how like, you, you know, veterans like Arn Anderson and Tully say that like the worst thing you can do in wrestling is stop because like, like you know, you build up that sort of ring hardness and it it's just like it carries you through sort of thing. And then the moment you stop, your body has a chance to get used to not going through it and then, then it's down. And so for you, it's just constant, right? Like, yeah, you're just going to keep pushing it. And that's why partly the lockdown was so hard because you have to get it back, especially when you get COVID. Yeah, because like COVID, um, 
sapped you cardiovascularly. Even after you've, um, you know, you don't have COVID anymore, your your fitness just in general, yes, it's terrible because um, it still affects you. So when you have the lockdown and then you get COVID and then you don't really get your excuse me, your lungs back. The thing about wrestling people may not understand is you can do all the sprints and burpees and stuff that you want, but when you're wrestling, you're getting hit. Yes. Like it's like being a football player. It's like you can run all the sprints you want, but when you're getting tackled over and over again, um, or boxes, they have to be 10 times as fit as you need to just punch for 15 rounds or 10 rounds or whatever like that. Cause at the same time they're getting punched. Yeah. Like when it's actually conditioning to get hit. So um, when you're in wrestling and, you, and you're taking bumps and you're getting hit and you're running around and you're grappling and stuff and you're doing a ton of different things without very much rest, um, it's its own special kind of fitness. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let, let's have a look at this um, this card real quick, and I'll see who you can tell me about. And if you can't, that's fine because there will be some uh, on this first show. There will be some, uh, you know, Farley Dojo Young Lions that you may not be familiar with. But the first match is Richard Malou uh, versus Jordan Allen Wright versus Mark Tui, I believe it is. Are you familiar with any of these gentlemen? Is this the Christchurch show? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I know Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Mark. I've known Mark for a while. He was at the dojo when I was there. He's got. Um, I would say the main thing I know about Mark is he's got a he's got a strong boxing background. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm sure he's got hands like lead. He's probably got that fitness, man. Um, you know, but no, other than that, I probably I probably can't speak to the young lines very much. So no, that's totally fine. Um, we'll we'll keep on cruising on. Then then it says it's yourself and Jake Taylor. Sorry, Jake. Uh, then we're on to the third match. The Philippe brothers uh, versus Nikolai Anton Bell and Rowan Davis. Right. So the um, the Philippes um, are now, I think they must be the former at least two-time MCW tag team champions. Yeah. Um, brothers, they're just, um, I think they I think they did a, I think they might have, I can't remember if they won one of the Farley Dojo tryouts. Mm-hmm. Um, like the pre-COVID ones, and they went over there and they trained for three months. And they went through all that, so they're dojo boys themselves. Um, but now they're just hanging out in Melbourne, and um, and I guess this is their opportunity to to get back in the New Japan fold. Very, very good athletes. Um, like I mean, they dives, you know, Phoenix Splash, like anything you want to do. Those those guys can do anything. Wow. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see them. I would say they're junior weight division boys, <laughs> junior heavyweight. <laughs> Um, but you know, <laughs> um, that's it. So that should be, that should be a good tag match, but I don't know anything about the young line dojos. That's that's where this stuff gets interesting, right? Cause I know about the Philippe's and I've seen their matches and stuff like that. I haven't seen any of the young lines matches, but they've been training hard, man. You don't do six days a week in that dojo for four years <laughs> Absolutely. and not become an iron. So it'll be yeah. really interesting. They might, they might. They might upset them. Yeah, there might um, be but, some new stars launched out of this. You know, the, we we don't know. We don't know what Farley's been cooking up there. There could be some absolute weapons coming yeah. up. I mean, the fourth match. Let's talk about a weapon now. Somebody who's completely rebuilt himself as Michael Richards. Uh, he's going right. to be versing Jeff Cobb. Michael yeah. Richards has been with Farley a long, long time. He had his um, yeah, he's he had a, yeah, yeah. And he uh, and he had had that like debut in Japan, right? And it didn't go that way, and he was sort of uh, it was sort of shunned for it. And he went back and sort of rebuilt himself from scratch, and has really become sort of the leader of that dojo. So this is going to be a huge coming out match for him against Cobb. 
Oh yeah, you got to imagine he's looking all impressed. Yeah, like um, yeah. You, <laughs> the amount of pressure. You know, I think what that'll come down to is a couple of things. Like, um, for one thing, Jeff Cobb. Like, come on, man. Yeah, like, I know it's a could, fucking tough draw. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't ask for a worse opponent. Like in terms of someone. Like in terms, of, if you're trying to win a match, you couldn't. Ask <laughs> Jeff Cobb's a fucking monster. Yeah, if like, I has um, not I looked actually, after him here. <laughs> I wrestled Jeff Cobb a few years ago, and when yeah. he picked me up. I felt like a baby again. Wow. He was, he was the strongest. Like, I'm, I'm a hundred, depending on, like, my on the day, between 108 and 112 kilo man. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm six foot. Like, I'm, I'm not a small guy. Mm-hmm. And he fucking picked me up. And I, like, I was nothing. It felt like being, I felt like I was a football. Yeah. Like, and he could just throw me. He's ridiculous level power. Um, yeah, so that's what Michael Richards has got to contend with. Um, Jeez. but like, nah, man, Michael, like, I mean, you just got to think about how much pressure he's going to put on himself. You know? Yeah, he wants like, it. I, I, Jesus, he's going to want it. Like, he's going to be working ridiculously hard. Like, you see all the body transformation stuff he does with his diet, and this is all he obsesses over. This is all he'd be doing. For um, years now, years as a young yeah. lion, you know, like maybe one of the longest running ever with everything that's happened and then with the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's got to yeah. be hungry. Well, you got to, you got to respect the persistence. Absolutely. Um, you know, plus all the other kind of stuff. So like, I think the thing that I would worry about, like if you were, if he were my trainee, the thing I'd worry about is him putting too much pressure on himself. Yeah. You know, like the, the last thing you want is that extra bit of stage fright because you're putting too much on it, you know? Um, so I think that's that's what'll be interesting is is to see the performance whether he can relax <laughs> and just do what he does and, and and do his best um, and then sort of get through there and show that he's you know improved himself and and what a weapon athlete he is like so I just yeah I, th- I think he'll do well I think he'll do well absolutely I'm so I'm so pumped for that match then next up is your boy Kentasan versus Andrew Villabos yeah that'll be interesting too Villabos is a big boy yes. Uh, I think he actually come from Sydney originally, but he's, he's a fucking big man. <laughs> so, you know, he'll, he'll have a fairly significant size advantage on um, on yeah. Kentison. So um, that one could be an upset too. Like, that's what's interesting too. Because, I mean, the other part of this too is you got to think about, like, traveling. Like, so you got, like, uh, Kentison's going to come from Japan. Probably has an early flight. You know, does all the kind of stuff, and then he's going to go straight to the ring against the guy who's been obsessing about this match, I'm sure, for months. Yeah. Who's probably four or five inches taller than <laughs> like, ripped to the gills, like yeah, yeah, you know, or something like that. Like, Villabos is a big boy, so like if he, um, yeah, if he he can pull something out. But again, I just know so little about these guys' actual wrestling style. Yeah. Like um, when we get to the Sydney card, I'll be able to speak a lot more in depth about the no, PWA guys. That's but, cool. Um, I think it's still... probably the same for everyone. Like you, you don't know what they're going to do which makes it interesting um one of my favorite things in wrestling is to watch matches with guys who i just have no idea who they are yeah like there's something about two guys tying up and just not having a single idea on how they're gonna what they're gonna do next um that's just i don't know it's like a a, something tantalizing about it i guess (laughs) yeah yeah well it's like how is this conflict going to resolve like you don't know any of their skill set you don't know move set you don't know any of that you're like what's going to happen and then sometimes you just get blown away right and you're like yo what the fuck just happened (laughs) yeah or kenta might just beat him in 10 seconds you don't (laughs) (laughs) or you you can turn around and like you say all mate's been obsessing about this for months he's probably watched every kenta match that's ever happened in human history you know he's he's (laughs) juiced up all the fucking on like 
training under Farley just drilled and like he might turn around and wipe Kenter away, you know, and you're like, yeah. yo, who is this? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. 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 Super like, interesting. I guess it'll probably be similar to a lot of people watching me against Shingo. They're probably thinking, oh, Shingo's going to kill this guy. And then it's like, and then he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. Exactly so, right. And then you go to the Bullet Club. So that's, um, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. They, they would have been like, oh, who's this Sydney jobber? And it's like, no, yeah. no, mate. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> uh, and then the last minute is uh, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori, and the one and only Bad Luck Fale versus AEW's Aaron Solo and Tony Casina. Now, do I know Tony because he is the other coach at the Farley Dojo? Like, uh, yeah, in right. the dojo. He's been there for a few years now, too. Yeah, I think um, I saw I him wrestle in Sydney, too. Yeah, he's American. Yes. Um, he's an American dude. Um, but uh, I can't see. That's the thing is I don't know what happened during lockdown. I don't know whether he was stuck in New Zealand mm-hmm. or whether he's only just come back. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's Farley Dojo coach, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a very hard man too. Like he's one of the things, like I think one of the stories about him was that he did his international flight from America, got off the flight and it was the first day of training. And then that morning they all had to do like a thousand squats on their first day and he did it with them. Wow. And they were just kind of like, we would have understood if you didn't because you just got off this flight and he just kind of went, it's important to me that you know <laughs> that I'm doing it too. Yeah. Um, which is a similar attitude to myself yes. like when it comes to doing stuff. It's like, it's not, it's, I, you can't just sit there on a stool and tell the rookies to do a thousand. So it doesn't work like that. They need to know that you will eat them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So, you know, a man with that kind of attitude um, is good. And then I mean, Aaron Solo, um, I last saw him in AEW. Yeah. Like, um, like that's why he popped up in one of the matches there and plus the New Japan Strong stuff. So um, he's killing He's a Farley Dojo boy too. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing is a lot of these guys are from Farley Dojo. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to wrestle Farley. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like, like they'd be thinking, maybe this is my time to pay him back for all those squats, but I'm sure Farley has a completely different idea and they're going to find out. <laughs> Man, I'm fucking, I'm standing next to Farley. We're doing the rogue army thing and he's just got this pose. Like he just does. And I'm like, I looked at him and just went, you look like you're made of iron. Yeah. Like he's, de- he looks big, but he's deceptively big. Yeah. Um, and I'm just kind of like, fuck, he makes me look so small standing next to him. Yeah. We, but- <laughs> I think I've got a photo on this wall in front of me of me, Amy and Mo and Farley. It was like, they had like a party before Wrestle Kingdom and we went there and he's just like an entire head like taller, <laughs> like behind us, just like looming over the group. Kind of, the, he's a, a very large man. He's an absolute mountain of a human being. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and Bone Soldier too, of course. He's a he's a ridiculous athlete. Yeah, so quick. Fuck, that'd be a rough tag team, man. Because I mean, normally the the heavyweights and the junior heavyweights sort of stick to their own yeah. divisions, but now you got Bone Soldier, who's so fast and so snappy, and then you know the man mountain. Yeah. Bad luck. <laughs> I love that. I love that juxtaposition for a tag team. I really like that yeah. team. I would love to see that in like World Tag League or something. That would be hot. That would be really cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Ishimori's son fights up or something. But yeah, yeah. I couldn't imagine Farley in the juniors. Be- <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously World Tag League, not Super Junior Tag League. I don't know how they'd pull that off. Uh, anyway, jumping to Sydney. Um, yeah. We open up. Uh, now, this is November 30th at Liberty Hall. We open up with yeah, Jeff Cobb versus Carter Deems. Now, I am unfamiliar yeah. with Carter Deems. Are you? I'm quite familiar with Carter Deems. So oh. I actually, um, I trained him. Oh, wow. Okay. And then he did the three months at Farley Dojo. Oh. So he's done both. Wow. 
Um, if you actually if you actually look back at um, the match against Yuji Nagata, um, I had a flag bearer in front of me who was waving the big Jack Bonza flag in front of me. That was him. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> I do remember the flag waver. I did not know that was yeah. was him. Yeah, that was Kyle Dane's man. Yeah, so he's he was he's been a standout um, trainee since since day one. Um, he's just an insane insane natural athlete. Um, very tall. He's like six five mm-hmm. or something, and he's still a very young man. I think he's only twenty three or twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's probably got some filling out to do, and he's just getting bigger. Um, so him versus Jeff Cobb is going to be very interesting because um, he's strong, but he's also quite fast and wiry. He does like scissor kicks, like a lot of super kick combinations and stuff. Like he's, he's yeah, that's going to be a very interesting matchup. But yeah, Carter Dames is like Carter Dames is the guy that you would think would eventually get sent to Japan. Yeah, um, for the dojo as well as one of the younger things. He probably got his toe stubbed by the. Um, by the um by the pandemic um as well so he's making a comeback he's a newcastle pro heavyweight champion at the moment okay too. yeah cool so he's doing a lot of stuff um he won he won the um he won the gimmick battle royal at the um at the pwa roundhouse event that just happened so he's got he's got a lot of momentum going for him too so that'll be that'll be really cool to see him get that match yeah that's that's awesome uh after that we go to a tag match between Michael Richards, Andrew Villabos, Caveman Ugg, and Ricky South. Now, I'm right. fa- I'm familiar with uh, all of the the men in this this match, but take uh, people through uh, Ricky South and Caveman Ugg since we haven't spoken about them yet. Well, Ricky South's the PWA heavyweight champion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's one of the guys who's come through the PWA dojo. He he's one of the he's one of the few guys on the events that hasn't actually been to the Farley dojo. Um, so he's a bit of an outlier, but he's just, he's just one of those guys who he is, he's probably the hardest worker mm-hmm. of anyone I've ever countenanced. Um, and, and the, the joke story we always tell with him, is not a joke. It was real, but like, it was, um, we had ring crew one day mm-hmm. and he, we said, okay, everybody get to the, um, cause everyone at PWA always helps, right? everyone helps. It doesn't matter whether it's Robbie Ingalls or Madison Ingalls or whatever. They're doing ring crew. Everybody helps. That's yeah. just part of the, that's just part of the culture. So um, get to the dojo at 10 AM to pack down the ring, take it to the, um, take it to the venue and then we'll put it up. So one of our rookies is like, you know what? I'm going to get there at nine 30 and I'm going to get ahead of everybody and I'm going to get a start. And then that way that's going to, you know, make me look good to the coaches and stuff. Cause I was here on fucking early. I've started doing what I can. I'm going to get the truck ready. We draw that kind of gear. He gets there at nine 30. Everybody else is supposed to get there at 10. He gets there and the ring is already completely packed onto the truck. There was nothing left to do when he got there half an hour before everything was done because Ricky had gotten there at eight 30 and done it all himself. <laughs> You got, got to get up a little bit earlier than, than him. We had to contact everybody else, the other 15 people who were supposed to come and help with ring crew yeah, and tell them not to bother coming. Ricky did it. The venue because wow. Ricky had already done it. <laughs> That's Ricky South. He's yeah, like, wow. there, was, there, was fucking, there was something like a, a while ago where it was like, we sent. We had to send him to hospital. Like he just, he had something. Like he just, he's there six days a week, and he's like, he's still something wrong with him, and he's like, I'll go off for training. I'm like you go fucking now. And he had to get like his lung drained. 
Jesus. like he's just he doesn't stop he just wow. refuses to stop like he's healthy as a fucking bull now yeah like not to put it down but he's just that's just his mindset is that he is always gonna be the first one pushing trains five six days a week on top of all the other stuff like that he's 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 fucking unstoppable yeah. so and then you've got his partner is caveman oh <laughs> monster it's like Oh man, like they're team. just they're I think they're very hard tag team to beat. Um, so they're just some of the the most skilled, hardest hardest men. Like um, again, Ricky Inring is just untouchable. Because the other thing is too, like PWA Dojo and a lot of the other things is the is the variety. So like he's well versed in lucha, like in in more the Japanese style. Like we probably don't have as much of a British influence, but like since like um, Charlie Evans and a couple of those people came back, um, we sort of pick up on a lot of those things too. So and then plus the Australian style, the normal American style. Um, so there's there's tons of that kind of stuff coming through. So very like I can't recommend like Ricky South, um, or or Ugg enough in terms of every aspect of a wrestler that you could possibly want. So. Um, and then there's the Young Lions, who, as we've already sort of discussed, yeah. um, have that background. So there's nobody on this show who isn't like a ridiculous level athlete or hard worker because um, I think the whole point of it, we'll discuss it more, I'm sure we'll go on about it, but the whole point of this show is to be like, not not to be, we can start to get better and work towards the point where we can, you know, maybe be considered for New Japan. The point of this show is to be like, no, we're good now. Yeah. This is New Japan Australia. Been. Like this is yeah. well, it's just that nobody's looking. We yeah. just need the platform. So a lot of these guys who are getting shots, they're getting shots because they're the guys who are ready now. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm uh, looking as I read this. I don't know why on the New Japan page, but all the matches are completely out of order. So I'm just going to read them down in a list, and we don't know what they are because it goes like third, sixth, seventh, first, whatever. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the New Japan schedule for you. That's what they do. So uh, then it's got uh, Taiji Shimori versus Mick Moretti. Now, obviously, we've talked about Bone Soldier. Mick Moretti is somebody that you're maybe the most familiar with of anybody I could imagine to speak about him. So I'll let you wax lyrical about that amazing well, person. He's my tag team partner. And um, you ever see the um, Dave Chappelle skit with um, Charlie Murphy and Rick James? Of course. <laughs> the the bit where he says like, he's, he kicks him across the room and he, the way he describes it, he just says like, he's a line stepper. He's a habitual <laughs> line stepper. He steps over the line. I smack him. We go back to being friends. And then the whole process repeats itself. Yes. That is my relationship with Mick Moretti. <laughs> is he <laughs> the habitual line stepper or you? He's the habitual line stepper. And then I've got to smack him. And then we go back to being <laughs> friends. Um, so like we're former PWA tag champs for being um with King of Trios, two time in a row finalists. Um, like we've done we've done everything together and we're a almost unstoppable tag team. I'd peg us against anybody um as a tag team and we come out on top. No one beats the nations. But again, <laughs> there's just always that line stepping because he just likes to fuck with me. Like you look at the um like my very militant ordered way of doing things. I'm a I'm a I'm straightforward, serious, I beat people up. I put them in holes. It's it's a it's a very disciplined mm-hmm. wrestling style and mindset that works very well for me. His is the exact opposite. He's a nut job. Mm-hmm. Like he's very crazy. He stands on his head. He misdirects you, but he knows what he's doing. But it, he absolutely throws his opponents off every single time, which is what makes it such an interesting match. Because he's got Bone Soldier. 
who again is very fast, but he's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mick likes to work around people. Yes. And um, and Mick's definitely another one of those guys who is ready now. So he'd be an interesting one to like um, to send over to Japan and do that kind of stuff. Like like you know the, the same the same kind of level as like as like myself for example or like yep. Robbie. So that's that's sort of where Mick is at. So for him to show that against Bone Soldier in May, like you know Mick could beat him. Yeah. You know, and not not to not to put that on um, to say anything negative against Ishimori son or whatever like that, but I'd be I'd be concerned because of just. You know, Mick, same thing. He'll watch all Ishimori stuff. I can't imagine Ishimori is watching that much Mick Moretti stuff. Maybe yeah. he is. Um, and maybe he's going to be ready. But it's going to be a very interesting matchup because you've got that very weird contrast of the guy who's going to be around and he's going to do all the character and stuff. And then Ishimori starts just trying to come forward and get him. He doesn't know what he's going to hit. So I don't know if he knows who he's running into because um, Mick's world class. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like his persona and presentation and stuff would be really popular you know in that japanese market you know they love the the characters and the bright colors and all those kind of things and he's so crazy i feel like they would absolutely love it it's something different mm-hmm. it definitely something very very interesting and different um which is always good in wrestling mm-hmm. anyway but the, the fun thing for me is like i'm bullet club but i'm also nations yeah <laughs> you're torn you're torn in the in the middle here yeah, I don't know. I'd kind of like to see Ishimori slap him, so I don't know how tall I am. <laughs> he, he'll do. He, he's doing the line stepping, slapping for you in this one. Yeah, yeah. No, it'll be someone else can take it over for once. Yeah, well, that works out. Okay, then then we jump back to the first match apparently, and it's Unsocial Jordan versus Jordan Allen Wright. Now, Jordan Allen Wright was a young line that we weren't that familiar with, but Unsocial Jordan, I assume, is somebody that you're very familiar with. It's a name that I have heard for sure. Yeah, he's he's cool. He's an interesting character. Um, he's probably he's probably one of the more underrated um, guys in Australia because he's just a bad guy. Um, you know, I mean, like the the guys who everybody talks up on Twitter and wants flown everywhere are the good guys who do lots of flippy moves. He's a bad guy. He's the fun police. Um, you know, SMS, which is his faction, very strongly believe that events should be family friendly for kids. It's hard to argue, mm-hmm. really. Is that there shouldn't be any swearing? There shouldn't be any sexual references. There shouldn't be any drinking. So that it's it's okay for kids as well to show up if they if they want to come up. But when we all laugh at them and flip them off and tell them to go fuck themselves, as you do. <laughs> Um, they didn't respond very well to that, so they responded with force. So he's basically he's he's the fun police. He's the right to censor. He's yes. um all that, all that kind of thing. But he's also a very good and a very effective wrestler. Um, so yeah, he he's he's going to be an interesting fit. He's probably a little bit different to the rest of the guys because he's not quite as physical. Everybody who comes out of the PWA school is incredibly um skilled and fit and strong. Um, but that's not as much of his repertoire as it is for someone like Caveman Ugg, who's you're gonna break your fist punching him yeah. in the face. Um, so that'll be a very interesting dynamic and, and something different for the young lions. I think <laughs> I actually think he'll be one of the harder guys for the young lions to stand to to stand up to mm-hmm. because they're gonna be very you know disciplined, straightforward, and he's gonna be the experienced guy who's gonna just you know oh you're trying to punch me I'm gonna do all these different things on the matches over yeah. Um, so he'll be he'll be a fun one, another big character. Yeah, that's from awesome. PWA. That's awesome. So many so many huge characters coming out of PWA. Yeah. Uh, then with Aaron Solo, we've spoken about uh, Liarbird Lucci. Yeah, he's going to be similar to Unsocial Jordan. Okay. Um, Liarbird Lucci. He's just he's just such a piece of shit. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I spat my water over my keyboard. <laughs> everyone, everyone hates him so much. He's such a little bitch. He's been, he's been going around in a wheelchair the entire LFG tour, and he just keeps winning. Um, there, <laughs> he just barely got beat in the recent one. Yeah, he's. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to bring the wheelchair for this one or not, yeah. um, but he's just he's just the worst. Um, and then he wrestles matches in wheelchair. <laughs> of course, he'll jump out of his wheelchair at the opportune time to, to take advantage. But he something. has the wheelchair in the uh, ring. It's like, I can't wrestle because I'm in the wheelchair and then <laughs> rolls yeah, somebody and then up. The or something. And then he smashes him over the head with it. Like um, That's the kind of stuff he does. He's, um, he likes his poetry. He likes living in the woods. Um, like That's just sort of, he's that very... Um, not not like Raven, um, sort of in his own way, but he's, he's a he's a woodsman, um, oh, yeah. like he's a hobbit, like he's sort of um, he likes that kind of stuff. But again, like most of the everyone at PWA and, and Farley Dojo for certain, and he's a Farley Dojo guy, oh. so he he survived the three months over there. Um, same as um, I think he went with Ugg and Ben Payne, mm-hmm. Tyler Payne, um, at the same time, um, and they sort of had to do that together. So. Very tough physically, but also one of those guys who's very cerebral. Yeah. Um, so taking on Aaron Solo, that's going to be interesting because Aaron Solo has a lot more ring experience um, than a lot of the other guys. So that should be a very interesting clash. But I think that even even being from America as opposed to the Australian fans and all that different stuff, I think you'll find that the fans will be very firmly in Aaron Solo's corner <laughs> for that one. <laughs> a, a, um, and- a very dislikable gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. I mean, like, but Lucci can throw down too. Like, he's a he was a boxer, mm-hmm. um, like plus the PWA stuff, plus the Fale Dojo stuff. So he's a very high level wrestler, um, as well as his, <laughs> as well as all the various things he does. But he just keeps winning. Yeah. That's a, you know that's probably the the most accurate description I can give of Lucci. He's a winner. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always deserve to win, but somehow he just finds himself in that spot where he just always always wins. Just gets it. So um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes in that spot. That's a, that sounds like a fun one. Uh, the for the fourth match, it says apparently. I think we're at like the seventh in the, in order, but whatever. Uh, it is, of course, yourself, Bullet Club with Bad Luck Fale and Kenta Sun versus Matt Rogers, Jude London, and Paris De Silva. Um, I believe Jude London and Paris De Silva are the Velocities. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And Matt Rogers, I'm not familiar with. Oh, okay. Um, so he's just, he's another Newcastle Pro PWA wrestler. Okay. Um, he did some time at the Farley Dojo, um, probably similar time to me. He's probably there for like a month or something like okay. that. Um, and so, yeah, he's just, he's just a big ass kicker. He was he was known as Full Force Matt Rogers. So okay. that's why when the Blockers and him get together, they're Speed Force. Uh-huh. I see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that uh, the nickname Full Force kind of tells you everything you need to know about him, really, doesn't it? Pretty much, he he's, he does a big boot and does a pump handle slam, and he basically never loses. Um, he's just a big, tough, strong guy. It's great he just, gimmick he just to can't put him down. So yeah. he he's a good addition to the velocities because the velocities are so fast and so technical and high flying. But I mean, if, if there was a third velocity against Farle and myself, like in Kenta. It's going to be a bit rough for him because eventually we'll get our hands on it. But he's their muscle. He's their yeah. brawn. Um, so it's probably a good combination of the really fast guys with the really big, strong guys, sort of like uh, Ishimori Sun and, and yeah. Farley. Um, and so there would be a really cool dynamic. But, I mean, there's another team that's just world-class. Yeah. I mean, the Velocities, the Velocities is one of the best tag teams in the world. Them and Junior Tag League or something would be amazing. So it would be cool to see them, you know, 
hopefully they do well enough that they get noticed. That would that um, would be awesome. I mean, they, they've been a team that's been on the lips of kind of everybody for a long time now, you know, and they're kind of well and truly due for something really. Well, they they just got back from a tour of Europe. Oh, really? Yeah, they went. I think they were the um, OTT and Rev Pro Tag Champs. That's awesome. Um, while they were over there um, for brief stints, and they're still the uh, I want to say SAJ. That uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but there's an Italian wrestling company that they are the tag team champions of. Please look it up. <laughs> so I haven't I haven't butchered the fact that there's there's a company we can be more respectful of. Um, but yeah, so they're they're doing great things. Current PWA tag champs. Um, so they're doing really good. It's gonna, it's gonna really hurt my feelings to have to crush them. Yeah, what can you do? It's, um, it's, it's a hard cross to bear. <laughs> I've wrestled them so many times, and that's what's actually super funny about this match is that me and Moretti and Adam Hoffman or Jessica Troy have wrestled the Velocities and Matt Diamond or, or Matt Rogers. Like some combination of these six person tags happened so many times. Yeah. Except this time, instead of my tag team partner being Moretti and, and Hoffman, it's Kenta. <laughs> <laughs> And Farley. Talk about When you look at, like, when I remember from my, you know, 2008 discovering indie wrestling, going, mm. like, wow, Kent Darley, and now he's my tag team partner because we're in Bullet Club. Um, it's just such a surreal moment, um, yeah. especially when I'm not wrestling against other members of New Japan. I'm wrestling against the guys that I wrestle against every week. Yeah, you've just defected um, fully and you're just aligned with, with some of the greatest wrestlers in the world. It's pretty wild. Pretty much. I mean, it's like, it's about time. Yeah. more than anything but also like you gotta you understand like i mean because again we're all professionals and we've been working hard for it and we're at that level i really believe that we're at that level mm-hmm. um and we'll fit right in i guarantee we'll fit right in the match is going to be amazing and you won't be looking at it like oh it's these amateur local australian guys and these professional guys we're all going to look like professionals because we all are absolutely um and that's the elite skill level that comes from pwa yeah. um and and it's always absolutely there but australia is so isolated from the rest of the country. Um, that's why I find it different. And I just don't know if say American people or Japanese people or English people can really understand mm-hmm. what it's like to be here because, you know, I suppose it's like at any given indie fed in America, you are going to have some famous name wrestler. Yeah. You know, maybe John Moxley pops up, you know, like maybe, maybe someone else, maybe someone who, you know, every second card will have somebody who's a former WWE superstar. Mm-hmm. Those guys with that experience are just around because there's so much of it and there are so many people there. We don't often get that here. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't have a lot of people who are former guys. That's why when Robbie Eagles is around, it's so valuable because he is that professional living that sort of life. Mm-hmm. But then he comes back here and tells us about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we still hear from Grayson Waller all the time. Mm-hmm. Like um, the, the Matt Wahlberg who came from Australia, who's now, you know, Shawn Michaels' favorite wrestler in NXT. <laughs> You know, like there's, there's all those things that, that sort of are coming back, but it's still so rare for it to really happen here. It's not something that we've been – it's something we achieved, I suppose. We earned it. Like when, when, we, when we first started, this stuff was a pipe dream, and now it's something that's actually happening. And so that's where, like, you look at it now, and it's, you know, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night, but I'm here doing this interview because it's important. You know, I'm going to the gym after this. You know, like it's my second of the day. Yeah. So I mean, I got up this morning and I went for a run, and then I did my work day, and then I looked after my son, and then we put him to bed, and then I did an interview. Now I'm going to the gym again, and then when I get up in the morning tomorrow, I'm going to um to an amateur wrestling class followed immediately by a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class before I come back and look after my kid again for the second half of the day, or my wife goes to a concert. 
Like, so that, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things do. where it's like we have an opportunity that we've been working towards for fucking, I've been working towards 15 years. Yeah. This isn't something any of us take lightly and yeah. we're good enough for it and we deserve it. But it's so rare. <laughs> like, we don't have a WWE tryout or a New Japan tryout every second week. And now I'm in fucking Bullet Club, <laughs> you know? So like, it's one of those things that is not, is not taken lightly by anybody here. Yeah. So everybody watching this or listening to this, you better tune in to whatever version of it you can because it's uh, we're going to be taking making the most of it. It's it's really like years and years in the making, and it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I almost hate that New Japan laid out these matches so bad that we still got one to talk about because that's a promo to end the interview with. <laughs> but we do have one more to speak about. But what I will say is that your your work ethic bleeds through this entire interview like it's so impressive you know and and i can i can tell like everything you've done has built to this moment and it's like you guys aren't gonna let it slip you know what i mean like it's like you you're ready to work for it and see it done and i can't wait for the rest of the world to understand what you guys i just grab it and kicking and screaming yeah it's we are going to make this happen, even if like we drag this opportunity from nowhere, kicking and screaming. Yeah. Everything that could possibly go wrong always goes wrong, and that's just an obstacle that you have to overcome. Yeah, because that's the way it is. We never get disheartened mm-hmm. because we just expect things to go wrong, but it doesn't matter because we're going to make it happen anyway. Yeah, and that's that's the work ethic. So no, we're not going to let it <laughs> go. The last match, the last match is Lightspeed Express versus. Um, uh, Jake Taylor and Richard Malou. Yep. Jack Taylor and Richard Malou. Yeah, that's right. So um, I think everyone knows about Robbie. <laughs> we do know <laughs> a thing or two about Robbie. <laughs> I just love, like, I just, I love giving Robbie shit so much. I mean, could you imagine being in the Bullet Club and voluntarily leaving? <laughs> what an well, idiot. <laughs> I mean, you say this now, we'll see how your run turns out. <laughs> you yeah. might be like, you know what? These guys are pricks. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I, uh, I don't see it, yeah. uh, but I do, there are a couple of things about Robbie that I would put out. One, I am one of the very few proud owners of a Sniper Club Bullet Club shirt. Yeah, there you go. I have the Robbie Eagle shirt and I wear it all the time in front of him just to piss him off. Um, the second thing is that, <laughs> and this is the problem with fucking, like this is the problem with fans sometimes is that we have is that he, I just love to needle him when people don't know that he's a famous wrestler. Yeah. Um, man, this is so good. Um, but no, we, we are lucky to have Robbie because he could just as easily piss off and never worry us ever again. But he's one of the hardest workers. Like he's one of those guys. Who's, it's like me. He started probably roughly the same time that I did. But when we started, this was a pipe dream and he, he knows how much his opportunity means. So he never stops working and he never stops helping us. He drags us with him as best as he can. And that's, that's what he always does. He's always pushing the pace. And so much of, you know, you never get, lazy with yeah. Robbie around because he's always like he got the best match you've ever had and then he'll just go he do this better and this had to be better and he could have faced the camera better here and the announcer fucked up here and this could have been here and he didn't stick to time you're five seconds off time and he could have done this but because he's like that you're always trying to push to be better he's just he's another one of those guys with the ethic and then you talk about my work ethic or his work ethic and that kind of thing bleeds down yeah. the reason why Carter Deems and Ricky South and all that are like that is because we're like that you know, so it's really a cultural thing that's developed, and because of that, because of guys like Robbie, everybody else is like that too. Um, and his tag team partner is Matt Diamond, and the reason why I think he's so stoked about this one is that him and Matt Diamond have been tagging for forever, right? Years. Yeah, yeah. 
um, like Lightspeed Express are a good time. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. So you see all their kind of um, all the stuff that they've done together over the years. Mm-hmm. And Robbie's in chaos um, and was in Bullet Club and done all that kind of stuff. But uh, Matt, unfortunately, because he's such an athletic guy, mm-hmm. he's such a small guy, he had thrown around a lot. So he had like a four year absence from wrestling because his back was so messed up. But yeah. he's an insane athlete. Like he deadlifts the same amount of weight that I do. Really? Like when he's in form. Yeah, I've seen uh, – there's video of him deadlifting 180 kilos. He only weighs 60. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. He is an, he's an incredible athlete, um, the same as Robbie is. Uh, maybe not quite at the same, you know, level of fame and skill and stuff now that Robbie's gone on to do, but he's just a fantastic wrestler. Them together is amazing. Yeah. Um, so seeing them together is, is heartwarming for people who have hearts, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it's cool for it's cool for Robbie – um, to be able to do all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, they're running into the New Japan um, young boys. <laughs> exactly. I, lo- I love um, the, that Robbie has brought him in, you know, for this. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's really cool that it's like, let's let the New Japan audience see what this tag team was and is, you know, and the potential of it. It's really cool. The point of this is to show what the Australian guys can do and yeah. what the New Zealand guys can do. Mm-hmm. And so Robbie's like, this is what the, my Australian thing was before New Japan. Yeah. So if you didn't, if you only know my New Japan stuff, great. Here's what my Australian stuff was like that got me into New Japan in the first place. Yeah. You know, like he never forgets his roots. And that's the whole point of this, man. It's just, uh, Tomashi is just a stage for what we're already doing. Yeah. Um, I think that's, yeah. that's my opinion of it. So yeah, it is really cool that <laughs> that Matt Diamond can get in that and they can do their kind of thing. So I think that's a really um, I'm trying to think of the word. It's um, it just fits perfectly. Yeah. For the whole idea of the whole tour. I mean, Robbie could just as easily have main evented against somebody and we would have seen that or whatever. But for him to be able to tag with his partner. Yeah. Um, and and his Australian partner mm-hmm. and do all that kind of stuff. That's really it's really cool moment. Absolutely. I mean, from the moment I first met Robbie like just all about Australian wrestling you know what I mean his all his dreams and everything are, are all based around lifting others up and building you know the wrestling scene he's really like a big picture guy who's trying to do that I mean even you and I speaking now is his, is his doing you know what I mean because he wants to connect people yeah. and, and and grow Australian wrestling and it's, it's just so inspiring to see like everything he's done and it couldn't all his success couldn't happen to somebody that works harder or is kinder or, or anything like that. It, it's a, it's really going to be awesome yeah. to see these shows play out on New Japan World and see the world, see how good you all are. Yeah, well, that's that's the – I mean, I think that's that's where you take the measure of people. Um, like when you see the guys who make it but still point back. Yeah. You know, there are guys who make it and who forget about you and yeah. they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Then there are guys who still – they still point back, you know, and Robbie's one of those guys. He's, he's one of those guys who pushes really, really hard to bring everyone with him. Same with, same with guys like Grayson Roller. Even like you see like Jonah. Yes. Um, he, he still tweeted about his home fan today. Yeah. Um, like he, he put over, um, uh, there's a match with, um, for the heavyweight title at Wrestle Rampage um, with Tommy Knight and, and um, Corndog. Um, he's a really good. He's a really good guy, and he's been working really hard down there. So he gets his heavyweight title match. But Jonah tweeted about it. You know, he didn't yeah. forget about his guys. Um, so I, that that's the kind of thing that I think is really cool when I see guys make it, and I'm hoping to do the same thing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. But well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. You're the the first. Of, well, 
You're the first uh, wrestler that's ever been on Okada Shorts, and you're now the fourth <laughs> official co-host of Okada Shorts. We've only had one other guest, but I, I don't consider them guests. I consider them co-hosts. So you're the fourth host, and I really thank you for your time for doing this with me and giving everybody a real uh, peek behind the curtain, not only in your career, but also in everything PWA and New Japan Pro Wrestling that's coming forward. So tell the people where to follow you on social media uh, so they can stay up to date on everything Jack Bonza and PWA. Uh, Twitter is at Bonza Jack. Um, Instagram is Jack Bonza. And Facebook is Jack Bonza. But I can't remember the last time I posted on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Instagram and Instagram first and then maybe Twitter. Um, Fuck, I can't stand Twitter. It's just, just as a general whole. Um, but <laughs> yeah, those are the two main ones as well. Um, and PWA Australia or Pro Wrestling Australia. I think I think it's PWA, um, PWA at PWA Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then near the website at, at prowrestlingaustralia.com.au as well. So those are probably the best places to keep up with everything. Strong recommend. Um, you you won't regret checking out any Pro Wrestling Australia event. <laughs> Absolutely. Go back, check out the show at the Roundhouse where. The mighty Jack Bonza joins Bullet Club and sets the stage for everything that's about to come in New Japan, Tamashi. So uh, I guess my sign-off, it's a little bit different without Curtis here, but I normally say something along the lines of rate and subscribe, listen or die, keep it right, keep it tight, and most importantly, keep it what? Short. Hi guys, this is Lauren. This is Michael. And this is Your Dose of Death Podcast. If you're genuinely curious about the world of deathmatch wrestling, look no further as me and Mike have you covered on all things in the world of deathmatch wrestling, whether it's interviews, show reviews, or everything in between. We have you covered on all things deathmatch wrestling, whether it's past, present, or future. And you're probably wondering where you can go support us. You can find Your Dose of Death podcast on all major podcast platforms, especially along with the Count Out Network of Podcasts. And also, you can support us on the Count Out Patreon as we have exclusive content only on the Patreon for all of our listeners. We hope that you go listen to Your Dose of Death podcast very soon. And see you at the show. This has been a Countout Podcast.